The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy Saturday. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your in your ears for the hour, or in your hour for our ears. Let's all use our ears, and we'll put on a show. And today, we have an in-studio guest, popular. He's backed by popular demand. This guy, Matt Shea. My goodness. But first, let's say hello to our good friend, the man whom we refer to simply as The, the dude. dude. That's Michael Roberge. Mike, how are you today, sir? Hey, good morning, guys, and uh, welcome back. You've been sorely missed last couple of weeks here. Thank well, you. Well, thank you very much. We, we had a little vacay. We took a fly drive vacation up to the great northeast instead of the great northwest we went to new england and we got to see some of america's revolutionary history in the boston area we got to see uh bar harbor maine acadia national park of course i ate lobster and then we got to visit some places where we haven't been before new hampshire and vermont and really liked vermont burlington vermont became one of our favorite places to be on this trip and that's such a mike roberge place burlington vermont with the church street marketplace think of an ho scale version of eugene oregon or berkeley california and boulder colorado places like that but on a much smaller scale that's burlington vermont that's yeah. feel the burn country. Yeah, probably <laughs> feels a little more quaint than uh, perhaps a Boulder or a Eugene these days, anyhow. Vermont's supposed yes. to be a great place to retire. That's what I hear. It is. I it's can wonderful. see why. It, it was very, very lovely, and the people were nice. I'll tell you, this is what struck me, Mike, in Burlington, Vermont. They've got a little uh, pedestrian uh, walkway there where they've blocked off some streets and put cobblestones down. I saw a cherry picker truck that was removing a sticker from the back of a stoplight that somebody had affixed there with whatever it was. It, it wasn't obscene or anything like that. It was just litter. Something political. And, and so I'm not even sure it was political, but he was over there taking it off. And when I looked around, I realized there was no litter. There were no little straggly signs. There's no billboards. I mean, it, it was a very... Very clean, nice place to be. Yeah, New, New England values. Yes, uh, that's absolutely true. And did you know, Mike, that when you hear ca, that actually means car? Yeah, yep, yep. There's some good ones. We, we, we heard a lot of that. We heard a lot of the park the car kind of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and we looked around for Bob Newhart, but we didn't see him. That's right, with the dog running across the road. That dog's probably dead by now anyway. <laughs> so... We had a great so time. So we are anyway. happy to be back as well. We got, got our vacation uh, a little late this year, but we, we had a good time. We're happy to be back, and we're happy to be back with Matt Shea today. He's a returning guest. We had a good time with him the first time we had him on, and we said, let's do it again. And so we shall. I have a very brief bio to read. There's so much more to the Matt Shea story. And we'll let him tell that as he also answers our questions about some haunted locations in western Washington. It's October. This is Halloween month, of course. And so it just seems fitting to bring up this material. It makes for a good Saturday morning topic. And enjoy your pumpkin spice latte while we talk about some places that Matt Shea has visited and investigated. Matt Shea is a retired union worker who volunteers for seniors now. When he retired in 2010, it was to pursue his passion for writing. 
Today, he writes family-friendly stories about small-town USA. His website includes many free stories, radio interviews, an audio book, and other goodies. You can feel free anytime to write Matt and say hello. He promises to write any and all persons back. He appreciates your interest. You can also, after you've listened to this wonderful interview, of course, Google Matt Shea. Shea is S-H-E-A, Matt Shea Books, for more information. So we welcome you. You're in studio. You made the trip in, Matt. We can't thank you enough, and we're delighted to have you back. Gary and Suzanne, it is so nice to be here, and I have lots and lots of friends listening as we speak. Uh, Excellent. Hey, you know, in your career. in your intro, Gary was saying something about small town USA. Burlington is not exactly small town, but obviously it's not like, you know, Chicago, Seattle or Boston. When you're in your travels, what kind of small town do you like? What where, captures your attention when you're visiting around? I went to Washington State University in the 70s and my roommate was called Farmer Tom, because that's what he was. And where he lived, I think the town might have had one traffic light, maybe, but everybody knew one another. And the biggest compliment I had received in those days is when my friends from eastern Washington, these little farm towns, where they assumed I was one of them. What town did you go to? Did you? And they're talking about horticulture. I loved it. It's this informality, like the barber shop. It could be packed, but nobody's getting a haircut. There's a fellowship with it. So where were you born and raised, Matt? I'm a Beacon Hill product. I am one of six kids, and I still have a friend I knew my first day of kindergarten, friends I knew before grade school. It was just a nice, average American neighborhood, Beacon Hill, South Seattle. Very good. So you definitely are a local person. All 62 years. And I'll bet you've seen a lot of changes in Seattle. I have, but a lot of the flavor is still there. We still have the space needle, last I heard, and we still have the hydroplane races. And Beacon Avenue has changed some way, but very much stayed consistent where I grew up. You know, we could really get into the weeds on that one. Seattle has undergone some seismic changes. And yes, it is earthquake country, but that's not what I mean. Socially seismic changes. But that's not the topic for today. I'll suffice it to say that I love Seattle. I call it my spiritual homeland, and I mean it. I can't wait to get back there again. I hope to visit often, more often than I have in recent years, that's for sure. And I do agree with you, Matt, that there is a spirit of Seattle that persists despite the demographic changes and the political issues and the social pressures. Seattle is Seattle is Seattle, the Emerald City, and I'm always going to feel that way, I'm quite sure. Oh, yes. And here you are in our, yes, you wanted to uh, go ahead and cap that topic for us. <laughs> it's come as you are. It is. Come as you are. That is definitely true. And for people who haven't been there, it's hard to explain. And once you've been to Seattle, you don't need an explanation. We were in Burlington, Vermont, Matt, and we were at a our, our favorite coffee shop, which is known throughout the world. And, and Gary looked around and he goes, you know what? You could see any of these people in Seattle and they would fit right in. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of old hippies are in Burlington, Vermont, and they're mighty proud of it, too. 
and they dressed the part, they looked the part, they talked the part. It was fun meeting some of them. And I just said, as we were getting onto a freeway and I was seeing some of uh, the local people making their way, including crossing and on-ramp to the freeway, which is interesting. Uh, I said to Suzanne, these folks would be quite at home in both Seattle and Portland. So that's uh, that's Vermont, anyway. That's the latest from uh, the home of Bernie Sanders, and we're glad that he is on the road to recovery as well. We love us some Bernie. I wanted to talk to you today, Matt, about these haunted locations that have captured and fired up your imagination. I also have a few stories of my own to sprinkle in because it was really over 30 years ago. I can remember going to a haunted cemetery and I'll get into that story in a little bit. I want to get you rolling, but I know what it is to go to a cemetery with a purpose other than burying someone and so, or visiting a grave, but actually visiting graves, visiting the site itself. And it is an experience like no other. You go to these various cemeteries, some of them established in the 19th century, and you find something there that fascinates you. So why don't we get started in that regard, Matt? What is this attraction you have for older cemeteries? Some of them now closed for business, but they're historic locations. Basically, the people who had built this country, and almost all of them were foreign-born, that's where they're laid to rest, to be respected. And so right there, it captures me. I'm certainly a history buff. And, for example, the other night, I went to Beacon Hill to the Comet Cemetery. The Comet Cemetery, the Comet Lodge Cemetery, that is, opened approximately 1881 to 1885. They give two different dates there. And then I believe in 1938, they stopped, they let go of it. They stopped burying people there, and they stopped taking care of it. Well, when I was growing up, that was the neat cemetery in the next neighborhood. So we'd ride our bicycles there, run through trails, and on occasion see a tombstone. And it was just a neat thing. We called them the Graham Street Graveyards because that was the main street that ran parallel with it. But anyway... What had happened to the Comet Lodge is that through the years, housing came in. They have 11 houses that are on top of graves that were never removed. They have a section that was a children's cemetery and also some Indian burial ground that was simply bulldozed over. My sister Mo does real estate, and many people in that area have complaints living in that neighborhood of funny things happening, and one of which is people say that they see children from past century playing there, like they're playing hide-and-go-seek tag. That is a common story for those who have given reports. And when I was a kid, I remember I took a friend of mine there. Well, he darted out of there in fear. He claimed he heard something. I was with him. I didn't. We're kids. Hey, it's a graveyard. Well, we went there to get scared. So... <laughs> They either have discretion, and I'm not cutting the mustard yet, or his imagination got ahead of him. But these things, when you approach these cemeteries, you're there for respect. It's a place to regard, to leave it better than how you found it. You never litter there, but if you see something, you definitely pick it up. And what I enjoy doing most, and I think we all do it, is to see how far back we could go. Who, who was the oldest person there? who was buried in the 1700s, because I found them before. Not in that cemetery, but in others. 
You know, I like how you say leave it better than you found it, because um, many years ago, a friend of mine said, this is how I rate my guests. If, if they make a big mess when they leave, then they're a very poor guest. If they leave it as neat and as clean as when they came in, then they're neutral. But if they leave it better than they found it when they came, that's a great guest. And I've always kept that in mind because as a guest, whether you're going to somebody's home or a graveyard, there's some little thing that you can do to make that space better. So it really caught my ear when you said, leave it better than you found it. And especially when it comes to things like litter, how easy is that just to pick up a couple of old things from the ground and throw them away? Makes it look nice. I agree. There's a statement behind it. The way I like to be territorial is just what you said. Let's make it better. Let's pick up that piece. Someone marking their territory, that's kind of primitive for me. We're supposed to have outlived that years ago. I wanted to tell this story about 1984. I went to a cemetery. You talk about respect. Yes, I'm with you. And you talk about the maintenance of these cemeteries, their character. I get it. But I'll tell you, Matt, I, back in 1984, I went to what became an increasingly popular event until I think they started discouraging this practice, this uh, celebration, if you will. In Yorba Linda, California, there is a historic graveyard. And in this cemetery, there is a uh, reported ghost known as the Pink Lady. She, she might have been in her 20s there, died long, long ago. And the story is that on the evening of her death anniversary, she is seen in her pink dress. I don't know if it was for like a spring cotillion or some special event, but a lovely pink dress. And she is still quite young, teens, 20s. The pink lady was known to make her presence seen and felt in this particular graveyard. Yorba Linda, California, Orange County, land of Nixon, land of Disneyland, and here you have this historic, with, with great character as well, historical cemetery, and people started to show up, and the next year, more showed up, and the next year, still more showed up. It got to the point, the last time I was there for this celebrated event, which is always after dark and the lighting is poor, so you better bring a flashlight. It was difficult not to step on somebody. It was that crowded. And as we approached uh, maybe 10, 11 p.m., whenever people expected to see the pink lady, if she was going to show up, it was just absolutely mind-boggling to me. People were yelling. There were a few people getting drunk. Some were littering. And then abhorrent, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was so disgusted. There were youngsters, and I, when I say young, I don't mean 12 and 13. I mean, these were like high schoolers, perhaps just out of high school. They propped their feet up on the headstone of this young woman, and one of them stubbed out a cigarette on the headstone, and another one yelled out, wake up, bitch. Oh, my God. They made a and woodstock the, out of it. Exactly, and, and a very uh, poor version of it. 
And so I decided I didn't need to have that kind of experience anymore. Not that I would be against going to historic cemeteries. I stood right before the grave of Samuel Adams in Boston. And next to that headstone, Crispus Attucks and others who were buried alongside him. They were victims, Crispus Attucks and others were victims of the of the Boston, Boston massacre. Yeah. And I stood right there and I'm looking at American history. I'm looking at people that fought for freedom that I enjoy today. Respect. And I took pictures too. And I just stood there honoring them silently. And I think back to what happened there in Yorba Linda. And I thought there's something wrong with a society that produces this kind of callous indifference. They're an ugly kind of cynicism turning someone's death and the memory of them into a joke. So thank God for people like you, Matt, that you explore and investigate these cemeteries, but you do so with the proper attitude. A friend of mine went to see Jim Morrison's gravesite, the Lizard King, and of course that's in another country, and it was amazing, but there were so many people there at all times to be there, and then I heard the downside. There were those taking mementos with them, and that's a crossing a line we just don't do. We're there to enhance respect. We don't have to touch. We're there. We'll go with the grace. And the epitome of respect, it has to be a place like that. Well said. That is absolutely true. I'm glad that people like you are around because you're kind of keepers of the flame in that regard, Matt. That's for sure. Maybe you didn't ask for that designation. In fact, I lightheartedly, Suzanne just goes along with it, but I, I lightheartedly refer to you as a spirit spelunker because you do some pretty thorough searching. You get into uh, caves of the past, of knowledge, of memory, and you do it in a very professional way, though for you it's, it's an avocation more than a hobby, but it's not what you do professionally. It's what you do out of love and passion for the past. With that said, Matt, we've got some time here before we go to our bottom of the hour break. Why don't we get started on some of these stories of, of your encounters, your investigations? You wrote to me that you went to the Northern State Hospital. Yes, a well I did. Known, well-known haunted men, mental institute, former mental institution in Cedro Woolley, Washington, opened in 1912. What did you find there? Well, the first thing I found is that most locals heard of it but didn't know exactly where it was. The Swift Center had taken over the property. The Port of Skagit now owns it, and it was a closed campus, but you could get on under conditions. And twice we had security, very polite, to tell us that we're outside of the hub, whatever they meant by that. But what happened recently is that they started tours again and made it more public access friendly. But here's what happened. You travel going eastbound on Highway 9 through Cedra Woolley, and then eventually you will see Hemlick. And when you're on Hemlick, you take a left, and within a minute, the backside of the Northern Mental Hospital opens up because this is the farmland that fed the operation, and it also has an unknown cemetery there. You drive a little past these old barns that are just gothic, eerie, that you are free to roam. It's part of the park. And you drive into where the cemetery is. It is a lavish green pasture. And I walked it. It was very spongy. There was not one headstone there. Upon the entrance of it, it just says that in honor of those who have passed there, they had a figure. The figure was... 1,487, 
and then they had hundreds more that were just interned in other graves, other parts like in Everett and so forth, that are all unmarked. But here we have it. It's entirely unmarked, forgotten, and that hit me hard because this is the end of the story. This is the tail end of the experience of the Northern State Mental Hospital. We then backtracked around and went up the other side on a road called Fruitdale, and at the first roundy round, you just stay on the right, take a sharp right, and then there it opens to the Swift Center. Now, it is beautiful there. They have got it well manicured, well preserved, everything, and you could see the main building. You could see the building where they conducted the surgeries, where they did the experimental electric shocks, where they experimented with lobotomies, feeling it would be better, where they sterilized people at times before they were allowed back in society. And so many had no idea that they were not going to leave that campus. And so we walked around. It was breathtaking. You could feel the vibes. And in my research, they say, yes, a lot of people report feeling things, hearing the shadow figures, sometimes more than that. And they say the number one report is of a little girl with a red ball. She's playing with the male ghost around her as if he's looking for her, whatever that means. But that story has surfaced number one of all the stories associated with that campus. Just amazing, but they do give tours. And if you look up, let me see, got on my notes here somewhere. If you call Skagit County and just direct a phone call there, they will in turn connect you with people who give tours. And so this way we're being efficient about it. And you can go there, but it's a fine line where you can and can't walk. So it is open for everyone and getting more exposed, more available for everyone. But it's beautiful there. They've kept it up very well. That's good news. This idea that there are places that you can and cannot go um, what is your sense about that, that they're trying to preserve it from people taking things or they don't want them to get hurt or they're just trying to uh, manage it? What, when you said there are certain places that they can't go, where, where can't they go? The Job Corps has basically taken over, so some of the old buildings there are still in use for the Job Corps. And, uh-huh. then, they, and then they also have Drug Treatment Center there, Rehab. And so Uh, for good reason, it is still being used and they're taking advantage of a territory that was sort of secluded for society, but tranquil. Mm -hmm. But now it's getting more and more open for the public. So they're going the right direction and they do have tours there. Various groups come in for tours. Did I understand you to say, or am I making the wrong inference here, that the graveyard is connected with the hospital? It is on the back side, the east side of the hospital, and you'd have no idea that one was related to the other. It was basically a pastor, and they would bury people there, and it was very cold. They would have, oh. they would have stones there the size of bricks, and they would okay. say, like, number 305 and then initials, PF, number 707, and then FC. That's all it was. It was so those... Those would have been patients then. It would have, but they say that this field they selected uh, becomes a swamp. It gets flooded all the time, 
where they say that they're still buried there and that they still have uh, these stones that have since buried, it looks nothing more than a lavish pasture. I walked it. I could not find one. Upon entering it, Cedar Woolley High School put up a plaque to honor that people are buried there and to respect it. Mm. Well, I, I like that idea of respecting the dead and the fact that they have that graveyard next to the hospital. Um, you know, we've heard horror stories of mass graves where, yes. you know, people were just dumped unceremoniously. So mm. the fact that they had a graveyard, even though the graves are unmarked, perhaps those people were buried with some dignity. And that would be nice to think. That is quite an issue because over 200 canisters of remains were found in the morgue when they shut down in 1973. And I believe they took them up to Mount Vernon at the Thornton Cemetery and did a mass grave burial, and I believe unmarked. And so there's a huge controversy here about that. The respect was not given. And to be in this grave site, which I would call it a pastor, you'd have no idea that it was affiliated because it's a good mile away from the hospital. I think this is a good time for us to take our break at the bottom of the hour. We have Matt Shea with us. And on the other side of this break, before we get back into our interview, we're going to give you the opportunity to get up close and personal with Matt by learning where you can find him, his books, his website, all his wonderful entries. The man's a fine writer, and he has this small-town USA feel and, of course, always family-friendly. Matt Shea is our guest. We're talking about some spooky subjects. On the other side of this break, we're going to make a trip to the Oxford Saloon. Bend an elbow there, and if you can see through the bartender, well, I wouldn't be surprised. You're listening to Manson Mitchell at Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is mansonmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country, and tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. 
pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Matt Shea. Matt, if people would like to find out about your books, tell us about your books, your website, how they can get in touch with you, and anything else you'd like to share. I appreciate that. Um, obvious Matt Shea books, S-H-E-A or mattsheabooks.com. And then from there, I have a website that has a lot of free stuff and where you could write me back. And if you dig a little further, it then connects to Amazon and you can get what you want. We're starting to get audiobooks out too. So this is a lot of fun. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Okay, Matt, we're ready to make a trip to the saloon, the Oxford Saloon. Apparently, it's gaining quite the reputation as a haunted hotspot. And there are people there. There's Rebecca, who I believe is still among the living, and happy to hear that. But there's also the spectral Henry and other ghosts, other spirits who keep the place lively, whether whether there's a band playing or food and beverage are being served routinely there to good reviews, all of that good stuff. And yet we are talking about a haunted location, the Oxford Saloon. Tell us about it. The Oxford Saloon is off of Highway 9, and I keep getting Snohomish and Skycomish mixed up. They sound so similar, but I believe we're talking about Snohomish here. And when you go off of Highway 9, heading north, eventually there it is, and there are signs that will lead you right to it off the road. Well, you mentioned uh, Jessica and Rebecca. Rebecca gave us a little tour And then she called me the other day to give me more and more information. And Jessica did the same thing. She had us downstairs showing where Henry lives. Right now, the Oxford is listening to the Mats and Mitchell show live. And I know they're giving you a toast as we speak. And we welcome everyone. (laughs) And I appreciate the hospitality. This is a building that was built initially in 1885. And then in 1910, it officially became the Oxford Tavern, later the Oxford Saloon. And Rebecca put it very well. Small towns have fires. There was a fire that was engulfing the buildings on either side, but they saved the bank and the Oxford because we do have our priorities. They survived this. When you go to the Oxford Saloon, it is something that had done some no-nos during the Prohibition era. There is a Stalock 13 Hogan's Heroes concept here. There is popular, popular belief that the stories are true, that there was a tunnel leading to the basement bar, which was known as their Prohibition bar. And they would have people doing what they wanted to do during that era. Now, Henry was an off-duty police officer 
who was on the stairwell leading down, who was breaking up a fight over gambling, and unfortunately he lost his life there. He frequents that place. He lives there. But there are others as well. And when I asked Rebecca what section of this establishment is the most active, she says it depends who you are. Because when she goes downstairs, she will sometimes see an entity by the pool tables, by the bar, but it's not Henry, it's someone else. Guests have claimed that this entity, who is a man roughly in his early 30s, late 20s, dressed in the trench coat that you would have popular in the 1930s, that he is known to engage conversations with people that sometimes he's behind the bar and it doesn't dawn on you immediately. This is the bar downstairs. Another thing that happens is that they have a back room behind the bar where they store things. They have been touched, I wouldn't say inappropriately, but it was more than just a pack on the back. One time she was there by herself and whatever it was in front of her was whistling nonstop, clairvoyantly. And so that's what happens there. On the downstairs, people see the shadows. They've been touched. And whoever it is that presents themselves does it where you could see this person head to toe. And then they will disappear, walk around, be gone all of a sudden. And they swear up and down. Several have had conversations brief with them. They said he's a gentleman. A lot of that's happening downstairs. The main floor where you enter People see shadows all the time. Upstairs with the brothel, where at least two women were found deceased, and so they have that mystery there. They bring the ghost hunters have been there before, and they say that in rooms three or and four is where these bodies were found way back when, and sometimes the doors are known for opening by themselves, or refuse to open. Sometimes when you put the key in the keyhole. It pushes back out. It's fighting you. And so they have this going on all the time. And, of course, furniture that was rearranged, things like that, and, of course, voices. And then I've had other people that came up and said hi who used to work there, and they put in their two cents. Yes, we would hear footsteps. We would hear people talking. Something else recently, when I say recently, I mean within the last few weeks, people have sat in the bar and they would see their glass would slide off the table, and someone would ask if this place is haunted, and they would say, yes, it is. And there are even more stories than that. I love this idea that there are, and and I've heard this, of course, in connection with many, many places, but there are spirits that have an attachment to a place, apparently. It feels like home in an intimate sense, and so they hang around. Maybe, I don't know if they're afraid to cross that river. I don't know if it's a matter of they just feel this personal attachment, but I'm amazed at how many times I've heard people tell stories of someone who could be readily identified, or it was assumed that this was their presence lingering in a particular location because they just didn't feel like going away. I mean, if you're turning down heaven to stay at the Oxford Saloon, that's a hell of a saloon. Yeah, that's well put. That's what I think it is. I think they are comfortable there and choose to be there unless we have these other entities that are earthbound, so to say, and they're put in a holding pattern. But something else with this place, 
is the upstairs at one time used to be an antique store. This was a man from the East Coast. He had this porcelain doll that whenever he sold it, whoever bought it would later return it and said, I don't want my money back. Take the doll. This happened wow. a lot, including a bar in that neighborhood returned the doll one day, and they said, we don't want it. Just take it. So that doll is now in a case above the bar, which I sent you a picture of, and people say that they have seen it change position on its own. It's an old porcelain doll. It's got to be a good 100 years old easily. But there is something about that, and there were guests that they wanted to know if the doll was there because if it was, they're not coming in that night. That is fascinating. I have a like experience, though it wasn't at all negative. Robert the Doll. Have you ever heard of Robert the Doll? Have not. Key West. I went to Key West. I, for years, had heard about Robert the Doll, the haunted doll. Some people consider Robert to be somehow possessed or evil. I certainly did not have any negative experience. In a plexiglass case in a museum in Key West, Florida, he has a little domain of his own. Robert the Doll was owned by an artist, a locally renowned artist there in Key West. And there he sits to this day. And when you go near, you don't put your hands on the plexiglass. It's okay to look at the doll. Even taking a picture or two, in my case, is to be done with Robert's permission. So, And, and the permission needs to be asked out loud. You don't have to shout it there, but not silently. And so I quietly asked for Robert's permission to take his picture. And I said, how about two? I didn't feel any negative energy or negative response in my mind. So I took a couple of pictures and I thoroughly enjoyed that visit. I felt like I was visiting someone to whom I had been introduced in a proper way. And I sensed no negative energy at all. Yet other people will go and I don't know what they're doing around Robert the doll. I have no idea. But when they go to visit they might say, okay, I'll write a note saying I was here to visit you, Robert, and then they forget to write. And then they write back afterward apologizing, saying, I broke my ankle, tripping down some stairs. I got into a car wreck after I got home. I'm so sorry that I didn't fulfill my promise to you, Robert. Or if I made you mad, I'm sorry, you know? Something bad happened to me. I got, in one case, a woman was bemoaning her divorce after she visited this place in Key West, and soon thereafter, her marriage fell apart. So when I'm around Robert the Doll, believe me, I show respect. And similarly, Robert the Doll was known to have changed positions inside the locked plexiglass. They talked about how things moved in there. So that that's always fascinating to me that, you know, a doll that is locked up in a case will somehow change positions. How does that happen? Same story at the Oxford. They say it's known to do that. And yesterday, the 4th, was the one-year anniversary when Rebecca had put it back in its glass case, put it up on that shelf above that bar, and it's been there ever since, and it's been pretty cooperative up to this point. No horror stories with it. One of the curators of this museum in Key West, by the way, a nice lady, told me that she'll talk to Robert when she opens up in the morning, and they seem to have a pretty good relationship. But if she has a cloud over her head 
and is feeling negative for any reason, when she gets near Robert, she'll, she might say, well, I had a lousy night last night or I'm fighting with my boyfriend or whatever it happens to be. And she gets the very clear impression from Robert that he does not want any part of her negativity. He doesn't want to hear any complaining, she said. And so she goes, oh, you're right. OK, I'll, I'll change my attitude about that. And everything goes back environmentally back to its harmonious prior state. I don't know exactly what all of this means spiritually, psychologically, but Robert has a presence there that people from around the world can sense. And they write to this museum about it. They feel somehow attached to that experience of Robert the doll. And he wants tranquility. I love it. Right. He's not looking for a hard time from anybody. That's for sure. And so um, I thought, wow, you know, I, I'm glad I had that experience. And when I go back to Key West, I'll probably visit him again. So here in, in Washington State, we've got the Oxford Saloon. I love it that there is this place where people can go and engage in merriment, but also appreciate the fact that they are in a haunted location, if that matters to them at all. Many people go there specifically for that reason. And when I looked it up on the Internet about reports people had, there is a couple that goes, you're a married couple, and the man seems to draw the women who used to work in the brothels upstairs because he will fill a very proper back rub, back scratching and so forth. And they always sit in the same table by the front window. Or one night, uh, the place was pretty crowded, and it does get crowded. They were sitting near that table, and the man was feeling the fingernails on his back, enjoying it when he's with his wife. And his wife finally said, she's still doing it because you've moved over quite a bit, and I could see her hand out of the wall massaging you. But it Seriously? Was, that's, what, that's what it said on the Internet wow. from one of their reports. But it was friendly fire. It was acceptable. When this man and I guess others come in, it's a very warm greeting they get. Oh, wow. Matt, right. have, you, have you yourself ever had an experience of feeling like you were touched by a spirit? I have. Uh, this happened long ago. I, I volunteer for seniors, and when we lost our friend Lois, she had long fingernails, beautiful long fingernails, and painted them beautiful. She was a gal from Chicago and had hit all the dancing and everything during the Roaring Twenties and whatnot. But when she passed away, I honestly felt that I was feeling her fingernails. It was nothing inappropriate, but it was something affectionate, like calm down, everything's going to be okay. Did not see her presence, but I felt it and I was awake. I wasn't thinking about her when I felt that. That was the only thing I could associate with. She had just gone, and I know her hands from when I would hold her and help her walk and stuff. That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. We have time enough to move on to a location that we did not discuss during our first interview, Matt. So let's make sure we get to it now. You have stayed there many times over the past 30 years. The staff claims that they sometimes see vacationers from days of old leaving or arriving in spirit form. Of course, I am talking about the gray gull in fabulous ocean shores. Give us the lowdown on that place. I've been going to the Gray Goal for about the past 30 years, and I love it there. It's just very quaint. It's rustic. It wears well with me. 
And I, I sleep in small intervals. I'll get up at 9 o'clock, go for a walk. I'll get up at midnight, go for a little walk. Well, I'm talking to my friend Angela at the front desk. Angela had worked there, I believe, 20 years. And so it's past midnight, and she says, Matt, I think I can share this with you. And she would let me know that at the front desk, she would see the spirits of vacationers that had luggage, the hats vacationers wear, go through the lower part of the lobby and either walk through the front door or actually push it open. Or they would see the elevator open and they would come out or just walk through it. And it's not always the same group. It's the same concept, but they're never acknowledged. So I've been going here for a good 30 years. Within the past 12 months, this is like the second or third group of management that they've had there. They told me the same story. They described it in great detail. Same thing. But they said it's harmless. They're going about their way and they're here. Well, my gosh, I've told many people that when I pass, if I'm allowed to, I do plan on hanging there for a bit, not to bother people, not to <laughs> scare anyone, but what a deal it'd be on the house now, and I love it there. So I asked one of the maintenance men if any of the rooms were haunted, and he took me to room 201. He said they were working on room 301, and they just left that room. There was work being done. It wasn't open for the public, and they could hear people in it and things moving, and they went downstairs to it and opened it. Well, they were the only ones there. Things were moved around. What? They could hear a noise just before they opened the door. Nobody there. Again, things moved around. Then the house ladies said when they walked by that room, they could hear what sounded like two elder women talking, and then somebody said, quiet, they're coming. And so they knocked on the door. Nobody answered. They radioed to the front desk to confirm that the room was not was vacant. And then they went in and nothing. The same room that the maintenance guys were talking about. But none of this is scary. It has a warmth to it. It's, um, it's a cool kind of eerie, but it's kind of going with the flow. It's part of the community. It's a neat place to go. If I made my million, I would love to have a room in that hotel and live there when I could. I get attached to places like that myself. When Suzanne and I were up in Maine here a little more than two weeks ago, we stayed at, uh, ironically, they have a motel there that's called the Bar Harbor Motel. It's in Bar Harbor. And so we went there and you get your free breakfast like you get about anywhere these days. And it's a mile away from the entrance to Acadia National Park. Great, great scenery, lots of sociable people there, nice time. I particularly enjoyed the fact that it had an older character to it. It's the kind of thing that would have been an alternative to Holiday Inn back in the day. Back when you had, you know, you throw the top down on your Chevrolet Impala from 1967 or something, and you drive in there and you have your own wide parking spot. There are trees all around friendly staff. We really had a great time there, but there was a sense that we were inhabiting a piece of the past. And I can see that being true of the Gray Gull as well. Yes, Suzanne. It was a, a motel rather than a hotel. Yes. And so, you know, there were many small buildings, all one-story buildings, and where hotels can get older and get seedy and, and be, you know, kind of dated and unpleasant, this one, being just a mile outside of Acadia, was very, very well kept up. 
And I think that was part of the enjoyment of it. You know, there was a large TV. It was nice. It was clean. It was updated. And so even though the buildings might have been there a long time, it was it was retro, but you know, also neo-retro. Right. <laughs> and I like the staff too. Maybe that's true of the gray gull as well, Matt. When you go there, I like to deal with people who are not dressed necessarily, at least sometimes I, I need to avoid this, where they have the starchy pressed uniform. Yes, sir. And how may I help you this morning? You know, where they're a bit officious, you know. Yes, we can direct you to that location. No, this was like the Shady Rest Hotel. Yeah, it was like Uncle Joe, you know, (laughs) and uh, the crop duster going overhead. Yes. there. It's Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing that I like once in a while where it's not quite rustic. It's in good shape. It's well-maintained, and you can tell that the furniture is of relatively recent vintage, but there's nothing sharp about it. There's, There's nothing stuffy about it you're in a place that honors the past and serves the contemporary tourist that when you find that man you found a nugget of gold and the gray gull sounds like that place i'm trying right now because i've been to ocean shores at least a couple of times but i don't recall actually seeing it i know i didn't stay there but i don't recall seeing it in fact when i was was there i believe that we got into kind of a cottage this many years ago and i was in a cottage over in westport so I visited Ocean Shores by getting on the boat and crossing over there and getting lunch at the Captain's Galley, if that's still around. And that was a really fun place, too. But here is part of the character of Ocean Shores. And these tourists, again, they don't want to leave. Or if they do, they check back in. Well, I'll tell you something. The word quaint certainly fits into these places. They have captured the romance of that era that they inaugurated. And they maintain status quo. We're going back in time. It's an old friend. Don't change a bit. I love the gray gull so much. If you have seen my website, there's a picture of myself with a golden retriever. That was Dolly, named after Dolly Parton. But anyway, that is from the trail leading to gray gull. I went from their back steps, walked down the trail, and we took a series of pictures to put on my website. That's what the gray gull means to me. They're immortal to me. And with that being said, I want to get your opinion, Matt. The Quinault Resort is there, complete yes. with casino. I would love to see. I live five years in Las Vegas, so that's music to my ears. Except I would not want to see any disturbance, at least not a major upheaval in commercial activity, such as to remove the charm of Ocean Shores for the sake of commercial profit. Does Ocean Shores... The, the fathers and mothers there, the, the elders there, do they look after ocean shores with that kind of kinship and a sense of wanting to maintain the dignity of the place rather than turning it into a purely commercial venture? Ocean Shores was supposed to be the Las Vegas of Washington, and that's why they have all those empty lots by the ocean. That is why they have the wide streets. Danny Kay and Pat Boone were courting Ocean Shores to vote in gambling and other things. And the last minute, the community got together and said, no, that would bring in a change and possibly riffraff. Let's stay the who we are. Instead of the neon lights, we'll accept the fog of the seagulls. So they dodged a bullet. They were right there. It was 50-50. And the locals did what you just said. They decided to preserve it. 
they did not need any of this raucous gambling and boozing coming from Pat Boone and Danny Kay. <laughs> hey, I love those guys. I think they're terrific. But Ocean Shores, it's nice and quaint. And the beauty is how desolate it is because half the yes. time I go there, I count more deer than I do human beings. But I like <laughs> both of them. That's great. Well, thank God that Pat Boone and Danny Kay didn't take over the place, or the next thing you know, Burl Ives would have been seen staggering down the street. <laughs> no, that's great that they, they have it. But there was, I had heard something about there There was going to be a major change in the character of Ocean Shores had that project gone through, and I have to say I'm glad that it did not. So that's, and the Grey Gull, if I get to Ocean Shores again, and I hope I do, then I would love to visit there and I'd love to stay in that room. So you just tell, I'd like that particular room. Is it especially popular? Well, that room 201, for whatever reason, I have never been in that one. It was one of my last stays where they pointed it out. But when we, I've been there as many times as I have, and my daughter loves going there with me. When I go there, I have that feeling, that warmth, and I feel that it compels the staff to drop their guard and to share things with me that you wouldn't want everybody to know about. My kind oh. of place all the way. When you enter the main drag of Ocean Shores, to the right, just before the beach, you'll see the Shiloh Inn. That used to be the old Ocean Shores Motel. Hotel, excuse me. But if you take a sharp left and you start going parallel, they have that one shark with the gigantic shark teeth that you walk through to get into the front door. A few doors down from there, there's the Gray Gull. It's a real beautiful early 1970s V-shape uh, structure made out of wood. Just beautiful, rustic, the Gray Gull. You can't miss it. Wonderful. That's a great advertisement. I will hope to see it someday. I think we have Eileen Grimes in the vicinity. You're in the zip code, aren't you, Eileen? What zip code? <laughs> the Twilight <laughs> Zone. I want to thank you, Eileen, for making Matt Shea's time available, not just today, but we have you to thank for introducing oh. us to this fine gentleman, this raconteur of the weird. He helps keep <laughs> Washington weird, and we plan to have him back. That's fabulous. I, I was very happy to do that, and, and Matt was the one, of course, suggested it, and I said, yeah, he would be pretty perfect for your show. So definitely, that was not a problem doing that. Well, and, and who do you have on today, Eileen? We, <laughs> gee, I wonder who. Uh, it's going to be a carryover. We'll be with Matt Shea, and we're going to be talking about one of his books today called The Groundskeeper. So, oh, excellent, okay. excellent. So good luck with that, Thank uh, Eileen. You. Thanks again. We made a new friend. Our old friend is Eileen, and our new friend is Matt Shea. And Matt, we certainly look forward to having you back on Manson Mitchell again to tell more of your wonderfully weird stories. And thank you for being on today. Well, thank you. I'm having the time of my life, and I get double dosage here with Eileen. Oh, yeah. Excellent. It's Matt Shea Day in Seattle today, for sure. All right. Join us next Friday. And we'll be back. Next Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, you can catch us if you're out of radio range at 1150kknw.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend, everyone. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.